0: Welcome to FaithBridge Sermons podcast. This sermon features Bible teacher Timothy Atique known as TA, and was recorded on Sunday, October tenth. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the area, join us next Sunday at nine or eleven a.m. And if you're part of FaithBridge online, you can always join us at faithbridge.org/live. Here's TA. Well, howdy. howdy. It is. Uh, it's good to see you. I see that many Aggies didn't make it to church this morning. They are still asleep. That is okay. Many did to worship, and uh, thank God for a good night last night. <laughs> hey, it's, uh, it's so good to be back for a second week in a row. I just want to start this morning by sharing that there are uh, things that I want for my three boys. I've got three boys. Noah is 12, Andrew is 10, and Jake is four. There are things that I want for my boys. There are things that I want more for my boys, and then there are things that I want most my boys. Let me just share with you some things I want for my boys. I want my boys to love Aggie football. That is why we were at the game last night and on the field afterward and I'm here this morning. So uh, it, sleep happens somewhere in there. But I want my boys to love Aggie football. I, I want my boys to go to Texas A&M. So there has been conversations where my wife has had to tell me, I think you're pushing it a little too hard. And I'm like, I don't see what the problem is. But uh, I really do want them to go to A&M if that's where the Lord leads them. I want my boys to like steak. That's just something that I'd like. I want them to think that Back to the Future is the best movie of all time. I want them to value deodorant. Please, God, may that come soon. I want them to stop viewing me as like their personal valet who holds everything for them. Like we were at the game last night, and I hear my name, and I look, and my 9-year-old, 10-year-old, is just holding out his empty ice cream cup, like, here. It's like, I said, what do you want me to do with that? Like, I don't know what you think I can do better than you, but I just, it hasn't clicked yet. So I'm very used to the word here those are things that i want for my boys now there are things that i want even more for my boys like i i want my boys to have great friendships like we we pray that for our kids that god would give them a few close friends and i want my boys to grow up loving family that they would see their brothers as their best friends even more than the kids at their school i want them to love family and then i want my boys to value and respect women those are some things that i want even more for my boys. But then there are three things that I want most for my boys. And these are not original. I'm actually stealing these three things from King David in the Scriptures. We actually have an account of, of David's, actually his last recorded words. These aren't the last words of his life, but his final recorded words in his life actually show us three things that he really wanted for one of his sons, and when I saw these three things, I just thought, man, I want those three things for my boys, and I want these three things for, for your kids if you're a parent, or for your grandkids if you're a grandparent, and if you're not a parent, these are three things that I want for the next generation, for the hundreds of kids that are just next door right now. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share these three things with you. And if you want to know what these three things are, then here they are. The three things that I want for my kids, which are the three things I want for your kids and for the kids that are on this campus, is this. I want them to have an undivided heart, a clear calling, and a robust faith. That's what we see in David's final recorded words. And I want to show these things to you this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Chronicles 28. I don't know the last time you were in 1 Chronicles, not 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles. It is a book of the Bible. And uh, we're looking at chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, an usher would be glad to hand one to you. For the last several weeks that i've been here we've been journeying through the life of david and we'll continue to look at the life of david when i'm here in the future but this morning what i want to do is i just want to i want to unify us in the way that we pray for the next generation so if you are a parent i want to give you three clear things to be consistently praying for your kids or for your grandkids and if you're not a parent I want to help you understand the best way that you can pray for the next generation, okay? So 1 Chronicles 28, David was the second king ever of the nation of Israel. He was the best king that the nation ever saw. He had very high highs and very low lows. That's why I love his life because I can look at it and his triumphs are compelling and his trials are easy to relate to. And so now we see uh, David in a moment where he has gathered potentially hundreds of key people. It's kind of a who's who event for the nation of Israel, and they've all come together for this address. And in this address, David is going to speak directly to one of his sons, to King Solomon. And it's in this speech that we are going to see these three things that David wants for his son. The first thing that we see that David wants for Solomon, which is the first thing that I want for my kids and for yours, is an undivided heart, an undivided heart. Look at what David says to the crowd in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. He speaks to his son Solomon and says this, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And so uh, David begins to speak to Solomon, and there are three verbs in this verse that I really want to highlight, and they are know God, serve God, and seek God. These are three things that David really wants for his son Solomon to do. He wants him to know God, he wants him to serve God, and he wants him to seek God, and if If you hear that as a parent, then most likely you resonate with that. And you're like, of course, I want my child to know God and to serve God and to seek God. But if we were to sit down and we were to say, what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to serve God? What does it mean to seek God? We might have very different conclusions, and it's possible that we might water down these verbs and we might begin to believe that, you know what, it's sufficient if our kids just make Jesus a part of their lives. Like it's its at least somewhat of a priority for them to be at church whenever they are in town and to read their Bible sometimes and to pray whenever trials come. But you know what, David is not going to let us get away with us just defining for ourselves what it looks like to know God, serve God, and seek God. David actually brings great specificity to what it looks like. Because he says this, remember what he says in verse 9. He says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a, what's the next word? With a whole heart. He says something similar in the next chapter, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 19. What does he say? He say, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart. In the Hebrew, that, that word whole, the, the translation of whole heart, it can mean one heart or a single heart or a perfect heart. The way that we're translating it this morning is that David is saying that I want my son Solomon to have an an undivided heart. Well, what does it mean for our kids and for the next generation to have an undivided heart? Well, the best way for me to unpack for you what it means for our kids to have undivided hearts is to unpack for you what it means to have a divided heart. Because we're actually able to look into the scriptures and discern what a divided heart looks like. And we can discern that by actually looking at David's son, Solomon. So just so you know, when David is is sharing these words with Solomon, Solomon is probably around 20 years old. So if you have a 20-year-old, just listen to what I'm telling you. David told a 20-year-old... To have an undivided heart in David's 20-year-old did not end up listening to him. So I would imagine some of you are like, the Bible has never made more sense to me than right now. But we know what an undivided heart looks like because of Solomon's divided heart. Listen to what it says. We can see Solomon's divided heart. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. What's wrong with that? Well, the reason that it was a problem that Solomon loved many foreign women is because uh, during this time in the ancient Near East, uh, the surrounding countries were polytheistic societies and they did not know or revere the God of Israel. And so the fact that Solomon loved foreign women, what he was doing was he was attaching his heart to women who did not know his God. Look at the result, verses 3 and 4. And his wives turned away his heart. From When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart, watch the wording, his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So, what is a divided heart? A divided heart is a heart where God has competition for our attention, our affection, and our allegiance. It is where other things in our lives are just as important to us as Jesus Christ is. So if that's what a divided heart is, then what is an undivided heart? An undivided heart is a heart where Jesus Christ takes first place. It is a heart where Jesus isn't just a part of your life, but Jesus is the passion of your life. And that's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for your kids. That's what I want for the next generation that is on this campus. My hope and my prayer is that Jesus wouldn't just be a part of my kids' lives, but that Jesus would be the passion of my kids' lives. I want them to have an undivided heart. The good news is that my kids already are well acquainted with what it looks like to have an undivided heart for something. Like I remember when my firstborn, Noah, was about a year and a half, two years old. He had an undivided heart for that purple dinosaur, Barney. Like, And, and i just let you know that was really a tough season of life for me because uh, he, was, he was infatuated with Barney. I remember waking up one morning to the baby monitor by my head and just hearing my son Noah wake up and here's what I heard in the baby monitor. Marnie? And I was like, is Barney in my kid's room? Like, what is happening? And then if you looked at our Netflix recently watched, it was just tiles. Of Barney episodes. And then Barney would come on do 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 and Noah would go, Marnie, yay, Marnie, and he'd go up and give the TV a hug, and I was like, man, we're too far in here. So but then it transitioned from Barney to the movie Cars, and so we have tons of cars from the movie Cars, and they've been littered all over my house, and I've stepped on them and not cussed. And then there was the movie Monster Inc., and so we have tons of different figurines from Monster Zink. and then it became Star Wars, and so we've got all sorts of Star Wars stuff, and then it was Harry Potter, and so we've got the Harry Potter stuff, and then it was Jurassic World, and so we've got tons of Velociraptors and T-Rex in our home, and my Toy closet is just a graveyard to failed gods. That's all that toy closet is, if I'm really honest. But my kids are well acquainted with what it looks like to have an undivided heart. They know what it's like to give all their attention and all their affection to something. And don't come up to me after a word and be like, I think your kid is making their garbage truck an idol. Like, that's not what, you know what, when they're four, it's cute. But at some point... It's not going to be cute anymore. And uh, it's going to move from Monsters, Inc. or cars to, to grades or their job. And my hope for my kids is that they would know that there is no one and nothing more beautiful, more captivating than the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's my hope for my kids is that they would have an undivided heart. And that it would transform their lives. That it would change their lives. And because they have an undivided heart, they would know God. They would serve God. They would seek God. Because they know Jesus with all of their heart, their lives would look different. Because they've tasted his love, they would love differently. Because they've known his forgiveness, they would extend forgiveness. Because they know that, that their worth has been placed on their life because of Jesus's body being broken and his blood being shed on the cross, they wouldn't need to run out into the world looking for value and validation from the world because they have it from Jesus Christ himself. That's my hope. The first thing, my hope in prayer is that my kids would have an undivided heart. The second thing that I want for my kids and yours is a clear calling, a clear calling on their life. Listen to what David says in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 5 through 7. Listen. He says, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon my son to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, It is Solomon your son who shall build my house and my courts." For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Do you hear what David's saying? David's saying, I've got got a lot of kids. I've got a lot of sons. But you know what? One of my sons has a different calling than some of my other sons. Solomon's calling is to be king of Israel and to build the house of God. That's a very specific calling. David himself actually wanted to be the one to build the house or the temple of God, and God told him no, that that was gonna be what his son Solomon would do. And so we see that Solomon has a very clear calling, and what do we see his dad doing? His dad is saying, I understand the calling that Solomon has on his life. So look at David's words to Solomon in verse 10. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You see what David's saying? David is saying, I I take my cues from God. So God has informed me what his calling is for your life, go do it. We don't see David saying, yeah, but this is what I want you to do with your life. No, David's heart is aligned with God's heart. In the end, David wants for Solomon's life what God wants for Solomon's life. David doesn't set his own agenda for Solomon's life and then asks God to bless his agenda. No, he seeks God, finds out God's agenda for Solomon and aligns his heart with God's, prays towards that end and challenges his son towards that end. We see David wanting a clear calling for Solomon. Mark Twain is famous for saying the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. I don't want my three boys spending the majority of their life figuring out why God has put them on this earth. I want them to know it from a very young age. Charles Swindoll says this, you have like no other person on this planet particular contributions that you are to make to this generation. They may not be as great as your dreams or they might be far beyond your expectations, but whatever they are, you are to find them and carry them out. Do you see what he says? He says that you have particular contributions that God has wired you in a certain way and He has not made you to live out someone else's calling. And that goes for my kids. My kids have not been made to carry out my calling for their lives. And God has not asked my kids to fulfill someone else's calling. My kids exist to fulfill God's calling on their life. And so what I hope for my kids is that they would have clarity early on on what God wants them to do. And so my hope for my kids and my hope for your kids is that they would get really good early in life asking God, who, where, and what? God, who do you want me to care for? Who do you want me to invest in? Because I guarantee you, if my kids are going to make a meaningful contribution to this world, uh, people will flourish because of it. Like callings from God always are for the betterment of other people. And so I want my kids to ask God, who? Who do you want me to care for? Who do you want me to invested. And then I want my kids asking, where? God, where do you want me to do that? Because God, there's a lot of places I can be. There's a lot of places I can go. There's a lot of organizations that I can join, but you need to show me, God, the few places that I must be. There's a difference between can and must. God, I want to be clear where you want me to be, what organizations you want me to join. And then I want my boys to be good at asking God what? God, what do you want me to do with the people in this place? How do you want me to bless them and serve them in the name of Jesus? From time to time, I will, I will just pause and ask my kids, like, hey, what are, you, what are you thinking? What do you want to be when you grow up? And, and over the years, it's just changed from time to time. I think about my middle son, Andrew. Uh, there was a time where where we asked him what he wanted to be and he shocked us he said i want to be a pickle man and we were like what's what's a pickle man and he said a pickle man is a is a man that dresses up as a pickle and and hands out pickles to people <laughs> and the reason that that surprised us is because andrew doesn't like pickles like he has <laughs> he has no interest himself in pickles but And we have no clue where he got this from. Like we had had no discussions at the table about pickles. Just one time, maybe God gave him a vision for it. I don't know. But he had decided that he wanted to be a pickle man. And uh, that dream has kind of faded away. And then it transitioned and he wanted to be a monster truck driver. driver, And he's transitioned from that to now he wants to be a paleontologist. So from pickle man to paleontologist, I'd say we're heading in the right direction. (laughs) Things are on the right path. But then my son Noah, he's talked about being a cartoonist, he's, talks to, he's talked about being a YouTuber, he's talked about being the President of the United States. So there's, those are very different directions, cartoonist, President of the United States, but we'll just see how things kind of play out. Now, I wonder what my response will be if sophomore year of college for Andrew, hopefully at Texas A&M University, who knows? But if he calls me sophomore year, he's like, hey, Dad, I, I'm thinking about, I'm seriously considering just revisiting that idea of becoming a pickle man. <laughs> like, I wonder what my response would be. I wonder how I would feel. Because I know my tendency towards control. I want to control my kids. Like, I don't, I don't think this manifests itself all the time in unhealthy ways, and yet I see it like there's, moments where like I really care about what my kid's hair looks like or how how they act when they're around my friends or how they're performing at times on the sports field like I can I sense this desire welling up in me to control sometimes I don't show it but there's times where I just feel it and I just wonder if Andrew's like yeah I want to be a pickle man if something in me would be like you're not going to be a pickle man I just don't know. Because here's the thing. I want my kids to have a clear calling. And if God calls Andrew to be a pickle man, I want him to be the best pickle man on the planet. At the same time, I don't want to be a parent that just always green lights every half-baked idea that my kids have. So it's this tension between like, yeah, great, if that's what you want to do, you should totally do that, no matter what the consequences are. I don't want to be that type of parent, and at the same time, I don't want my voice in my kid's life to be a competing voice against God's voice, not that my voice could ever win out over God's voice. And at the same time, I don't want to be encouraging or challenging my kids down a path that God is not behind. And so as a parent, that, that's just the tension, that as we desire a clear calling for our kids, we have to be okay with God giving our kids a calling. That might not be the calling that we want for our kids. And at some point, we have to stop saying, this is what you have to do, this is who you have to be, and we have to start saying, be who God's called you to be. Because you know what, our kids are growing up in an age where the pressure is unreal because of comparison. Social media just drives this comparison, which leads to conformity. It's like they look online and they begin to comparing themselves and they begin to buy into some lie of who they need to be in order to be enough in this world. And so they spend all of their lives becoming who other people need them to be instead of being who God has called them to be. And so may we not be those competing voices in their lives. The third thing that I want for my boys is a robust faith, a robust faith. Listen to what David says in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20. It says, Then David said to Solomon his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Do you hear what he says to to Solomon? He says, be strong and, and courageous. And I would just say, these are qualities that I hope for my kids and for your kids and for the next generation, that their lives would be marked by strength and by courage and resolve and, and perseverance, but not just because these are nice character traits to have. I want these character traits for, for my boys because of, because of who is with them, because they are clear on God's presence in their lives. Did you see that three-letter word for? In the verse four, that, that's considered a connecting word. It means that, that what comes right after it explains what came right before it. So with that in mind, just think. David says, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. So be strong and courageous instead of afraid. For, why, why? For the Lord, God, even my God, is, is with you. So David's message isn't, hey, Solomon, be strong and courageous because you're my kid and everyone respects me. So you've kind of you can kind of ride on my coattails and you could be confident and strong because you're my kid. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, be strong and courageous because look, I've raised you to be to be a man of stature and you're very compelling and your your speech is really persuasive and you're funny and you're a great leader. No, it's be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord, your God, is with you. God's presence is sufficient for anything you could ever face in your life. That's what I want my kids to realize I remember a mentor told me years ago just this idea that your view of God determines your response to God. So how you perceive God will determine how you respond to God. So I want my kids to have a big response to God. In order for them to have a big response to God, they have to have a big view of God. So that is why from an early age I've prayed that God would give him a big view of himself. And that's why when I, when I talk to my kids about the Lord, I'm not just trying to tell them what God wants them to do. I'm trying to inform them on who God is. Because God's presence will mean nothing if my kids do not have a high view of God's, of God's character. I want them to be clear that this God is is with them, and that changes everything. And because they're clear that God is with them, my hope for my kids is a robust faith, meaning that they cultivate a resounding yes to God. I want a resounding yes to, to mark my kids' life, that when God calls them to do things, even if they seem like impossible things, I want my kids' answer to be a resounding yes. And I want that for your kids as well. Imagine just how our communities would change if the next generation coming up is countless young men and women with a resounding yes to God. But here's the only thing. If my kids are going to have a robust faith, I just need to make sure that their robust faith does not lead to my great fear. Because here's the thing, if God calls my kids to do bold things in the name of Jesus, then there might be things that, my, that God calls my kids to do that, that test my faith. And as my kids are trusting God with their lives, I too will need to trust God with, with their lives. And so that's, that's my hope for my kids. I want them to have an undivided heart, a clear calling, and a robust faith. And I hope that you want that for your kids and for the next generation. Let me end just by telling you what I want for us as parents and as grandparents and as, as young adults or as high school students or as singles who care about the next generation, what I hope for us, while we're hoping for the next generation for an undivided heart, clear calling, and a robust faith, what I hope for us is that they would look at us and see surrendered lives. That's what I want for us is is surrendered lives. Listen to what David says in 1 Chronicles 29 verses 10 through 13. It says, Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, Listen to what David says. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Can you imagine your kids hearing words like this coming out of your mouth when you talk about God? Can you imagine them hearing you testify to God's power, and greatness, and might, and majesty. Can you imagine how it would impact your kids if they heard you declaring that God reigns over all? See, that's what Solomon gets to see his dad do. And the interesting thing about David is that all of these words that David ascribes to God had been ascribed to him. People had considered David Great and powerful and glorious and victorious. But what do you see? You see the greatest king that Israel ever had saying this Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You're exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. You know what David's saying? He's saying, I'm a king, but even this king has a king. I rule over a country, God rules over all. And so you see the surrender life, you, you see submission, you see humility, you see David knowing his, his rightful place and knowing his limitations, that he finds his role in the narrative of creation, he finds it from looking to the one who rules over all things. And so let me just ask you, is your life truly surrendered to Jesus Christ? Because you need to know the power and the glory and the greatness and the victory and majesty that David was talking about, they have been most clearly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, who was God, displayed his greatness by taking on flesh. And he showed his might That when he hung on a cross, he absorbed the wrath of God for all of mankind. He was put in a tomb, but on the third day, he walked out of it, displaying his glory and his majesty. And he then ascended into heaven where he sat down at the right hand of the Father, where he now rules and reigns over all things, and a day is coming where his rule and reign will be realized throughout the earth. Do you know King Jesus in a real way? Because when you live a surrendered life, you know what happens? Is you yourself live with an undivided heart. You yourself declare That there is no one and nothing more important than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ won't just be a part of your life. He'll be the passion of your life. And you'll live with a clear calling. You won't spend your life investing all of your affection into things that when you die, you won't be able to take them with you. But you will live with eternity in mind. You will live with a clear calling and you'll live with a robust faith. Your kids will look into your life and they will see a resounding yes to God. And so that's my hope, is that when our kids look at us, when the next generation looks at us, they would see a surrendered life. Do you know Him? Here's what I want to ask us to do right now. I just want to ask all of us to take a moment and pray. I just want to ask us to pray These three things for the next generation. So if you're a parent, you pray these for your kids. If you're a grandparent, you can pray these for your kids and grandkids. And if you don't have kids, you can pray this for nieces or nephews or for the next generation that's on this campus today. Would you just take a minute? You can turn and pray with your spouse. If your kids are in the room, you can put your hand on them and you can pray these three things for them. Pray right now for undivided hearts clear callings, and robust faiths, and then pray for yourself and pray that your heart would be fully surrendered, that when the next generation looks to us, they would see surrendered lives. Take a moment and pray and then we'll respond through songs.